1: Alex, and Foxy. Alex, and Foxy. Alex, and Alex If I put our Jackson in the paint, how you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? How we can win? go head to head. Call out your top three. Call out your top three. Look at the switch from Dorte. Now that boy got three. We got Holly Burton the point. This is the Benedict for the shot. If anybody gonna come in the post, then we got Jalen Smith for the block. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today by not Michael J. Fachi, but someone that we love having on this show, and he is a, a, a frequent guest on Locked on Pacers as well, the one and only Rhett Bauer. Rhett, thanks so much for joining, man.
2: Absolutely. I was excited when you asked me to come on to talk about last night's game because it was an exciting game to come on and talk about. I mean,
1: absolutely. The, the, the most important thing to me was like the Pacers came out ready to play basketball after the break because I think when Buckner probably said it like 15 times in the broadcast but as a young team this is very easy to do overlook this and I think that's important but I just love the fight from this team and there's so many areas we can start with red because there was a lot to dissect from this game but I think for me the big thing here is just looking at who they face that they face the Boston Celtics a team that is considered a title favorite and they went toe to toe with them after playing them well on the road earlier in December. I just feel like, you know, it's good to see them play this type of basketball compared to what we had seen probably the previous 19 games before this, because it was really hard basketball to watch. This was a really, really fun game.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things where their record against good teams is pretty bad. Like, I think I put it out there. I think they're winning like 33% of their games against teams over 500. It's atrocious, but it's games like this where, it seems like everybody steps up and and meets the challenge head on. Like This Boston yeah. team is incredible. They've been so good. They were supposed to win the finals last year until the, the Warriors just had more gas than they did. And so this year coming into it, they get Brogdon. They have like seven starter level players on their team. And the Pacers matched them. And this is a Pacers roster that is not ready to match the Boston Celtics blow <laughs> for
1: blow. And they did. And that's just awesome. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of talking points here, but I think we owe it to Miles starting to start there. Just a fantastic game. 40 points. I believe that tied his career high. He had 40 last year against the Washington Wizards, if you guys remember that game early in the season. 13 of 15 from the field. 8 of 10 from 3. That was a career high and 3-pointers made in a game for Miles. 10 rebounds. He did have 5 fouls, but... You know, I love the rebounds, just one block in this game and five turnovers, which is kind of surprising, but a plus nine as well. I just felt like this was an incredible game for Miles.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think somebody asked on Twitter, I was like, when's the last time a center has hit eight threes? And so, of course, I went through and looked, and I guess Kristaps Porzingis is the only one to do it over the last couple of years with Aaron Baines and then one from Brooke Lopez in 2018, and that's it. Wow. And those are like centers. So there's only been like five centers ever to hit eight threes and obviously miles did it with one of the most efficient 40 point games ever in the history of the nba and that's just incredible and it was funny to hear jalen talk about guarding him. So it was like the plan was to leave him open
1: and then they just kept leaving him open he <laughs> just kept making him pay yeah i don't, I don't really understand that logic like i get it maybe after like to start the game off with like make him prove that he can beat you from three because We've seen miles have off nights. There's no doubt about it, but yeah, I mean, he's shooting a a really high percentage this year. I think he's at 40% for the season. And I know he had kind of tailed off there like the last month or so. I think he's around like 35%, which is still average, but you know, it's not like lights out. Like we saw in in November, December where he was just pulling out of his mind, but signs his new contract. I mean, there's a lot of questioning, like, does this mean he's here long-term because it's a shorter deal kind of a prove it type of thing. Bob Kravitz came on our show and said that I just felt like miles to come out and play this strong after getting paid like that. Like, no, he's totally bought into this team. And I think honestly, moving forward, Rhett, which, you know, I I've not always been on board with this, but I think moving forward, he makes a lot of sense as the anchor of this team and, and at that center position. Yeah, absolutely. He is shooting exactly 40% on the year after hitting eight from last
2: night. So that's awesome. And it's It's especially encouraging when you see him be as aggressive and as confident as he was last night. Like, that's the version of Miles Turner that fits perfectly with this team. Mm -hmm. He was ball faking. He was doing sidesteps. He was making quick, decisive post moves against Jason Tatum. And that's the kind of guy that, frankly, Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Mather indeed, not just a release valve on the offensive end, but then somebody who's going to anchor it on the defensive end, even with only one block. It was the threat of him being there that Mm -hmm. kind of – had the Celtics players just, like you, you could just see them kind of processing this like, okay, there's a shot blocker around here somewhere and I'm probably not going to put this ball up and find <laughs> out where he's going to be. So yeah, it's just great to see him, like you said, come out after a, after a massive contract, getting an extra $17 million for this year and then obviously getting a couple more years. It it kind of seemed like one of those things where it's like it could be self-serving because it's like, ah, you know, you just get the massive money now and then you just get shopped in the offseason or look to get something before next deadline. But it seems like he's really bought into this team. And how could you not be playing with a guy like Tyrese Halliburton?
1: Let me ask you this. How much better has Tyrese Halliburton made Miles Turner this season?
2: It's definitely both. Miles has gotten better, but obviously Halliburton is going to make him better, too. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's kind of a just like a cycle, it just feeds itself as like, okay, Tyrese gives Miles good looks, Miles makes a couple shots, Miles gets more confident, so then he's more aggressive in the open looks that Tyrese gets him, and then he's making something out of nothing sometimes like he did a couple times with, like I said, the the ball fake just sticks with me so much because that's not a play that Miles Turner makes. That's that's a quick processing of what's happening and then not record scratching at all. It was a quick ball fake right into his own shot, and that is just something that – I mean, I, I know I put it out there, and I keep bringing it up. It's just awesome to see him maximize what Halliburton has given him as far as extra opportunities.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think it's just directly Halliburton's uh, addition to this team with Miles making Miles better. I think Miles put in the work, and he's just really grown. And I think he was kind of motivated, probably by multiple things: by the Sabonis trade, finally getting the chance to be that five, by the DeAndre Ayton offer sheet. I think there's just a lot of motivate um, motivational factors here that play into how miles has overcome a lot of this stuff. And I, I think that's great, but you know, one thing Fachi always brings up, it's like, whenever miles hits that first three, it feels like he's going to have a big game. And, you know, I would love to go back and look that up. Now that would take a lot of research, Rhett, to, to see when, miles, you know, I'm going to do it now. <laughs> you got to do it. Let us know. Cause I started to one, like when he, after he said it one time and I was like, started looking back and I was like, this is going to take me forever. I said, I really don't have time to do all this, but you know, if I had time, I I definitely would. But I, I think one other aspect too of Miles' game, he's become a better passer. And he had a really nice pass in the fourth quarter to Chris Duarte from the top of the key. And Duarte hit a tough layup there that was contested. And I was like, you know what? Miles probably doesn't make that pass a year or two ago. So I think that we're starting to see, and it's probably just infectious from Tyrese Halliburton, this team be more ball shares. You know, they they are more willing to share the ball instead of just always looking for themselves. Yeah,
2: and just processing the game differently from a position where, you know, everything ran through Domas as it should have because he's just an incredible player, incredible hub of an offense that just sees the game in a way that Miles just frankly doesn't. And we knew that, but it seems like with Miles getting just a couple extra chances to do stuff like that, again, it's a, it just keeps feeding itself. He gets a chance to do it. He makes the right play. It inspires confidence to do it again the next time it comes around. And yeah, it's been, it's just great to see him step up and be the player that he's tried to tell us that he could be for however many years. And we just haven't
1: seen it until now. I mean, absolutely, man. So since I brought up Miles, I'm curious, where do you want to go next with covering of this game?
2: Man, I think it's gotta be Matherin. Yeah, I know
1: yeah. Halliburton is 20 and 10. So like, of course he's our cool. all-star, but Matherin, man, both Big, ends of the floor. Yeah, he looked good last night as a two-way player. You know, me and you were talking off air. I think he had four assists last night, which is something, like, it does not happen with Matherin. He's not a passer. He's been a score-first kind of guy, and the defense was awesome. I I think the play of the game for me last night with Matherin was, number one, I really liked that three that he hit in overtime, the cross-court pass that Halliburton made. Like, that was just an insane pass. Like, let's just be honest. But for him to hit that, that step-back three that he had in the fourth, But the big play to me was the jump ball with Jason Tatum. And, you know, Tatum, like, you know, this is a guy who just won the All-Star Game MVP. Now, whatever All-Star Game that was, you know, he won the (laughs) MVP of it. But he's a guy that's an MVP candidate this season. He's a great player in the NBA. And I love that Matherin, just got down there and got nasty on the floor with it and tied him up and would not let go of the ball. We, we've seen that happen before with the Pacers when Aaron Neesmith did the same thing. I think it was against the Cavaliers. I can't remember what team it was, but it's like, I think that's when he had that nasty dunk too against the Cavs at home. So we, we've seen how that's kind of like, be the aggressor, you know, don't be intimidated by the the bigger dog in the, the fight. Go out there and play your, play your heart out. And I think that's what Matherin did last night. He just doesn't
2: back down from anybody. Nope. He's not scared. And it's one thing, you know, before he even plays an NBA game to say that LeBron has to go out and prove it. But it's another thing to be, like, unafraid in the way that he plays basketball. I know, it, like, the way that he attacks the rim, the way he attacked Tatum on a couple times in, in fast break and even just in the half court is just, I've never seen anything like it from a rookie who is that confident but also backs it up. Because, like, there's certain guys who are just arrogant and you're like, okay, like, Come on, but Matherin he he plays in a way that he he's kind of right. Like you know, he's not going to back down from Tatum, even if he isn't as talented as him. But don't tell
1: him that because he'll, yeah. he'll argue with you. Yeah, no, I mean Tatum's going to have to show him that he's better than him. You yeah, know? Exactly. He steps on the court; he's the best player. But yep. I, I will say this: I think Rick Carlisle said it when they first came back to practice on one of the the post or one of the press conference videos they had with media availability. Uh, he said, "Matherin." lets his presence be known wherever he's at. And they were talking about the Rising Stars game and stuff like that. He's like, I, I wouldn't surprise Matherin had a really good game and yeah. scored the first points on you know both games just because Matherin is that kind of personality. And I think that's awesome. Like, you love to see it. And he easily could have went back to Nimhard to start overtime. And he rode with Matherin before he fouled out. And you can say that maybe that sixth foul was an iffy call there with Marcus Smart. But at the same time, he did get his hand in the cookie jar. And while he did get a technical foul, I like the emotion because I'd rather see a guy care that much than not care at all. Even though it was a little bit costly, I don't think it actually, like, impacted the game that much. But, I, you know, just a tough call on him.
2: Yeah, it's one of those things. It's just a young player mistake. Like, that's just – he does care that much. And I don't think it came from a place of, like – actual anger or like oh, no. anything like that. It's just like he to the moment he just got really into it. And you know that Marcus Smart's been doing stuff all game to crank that irritation up. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just one thing that Matherin got frustrated about. It was all of the things that Smart's been doing. <laughs> and he, you know, got tied up with Halliburton, was flexing on him, got got a T himself, you know, it's just, I don't know, Smart Smart's a certain kind of player, so I, I can understand how that would be a, <laughs> a frustrating thing for f- Smart to be flopping so hard on one end and then get a call that kind of. I mean, it did kind of change the game. You know, he goes to the line for three free throws. This sure. is two of them, but still, Matherin was playing so well, and he's just so physical, both on the glass and defensively, that I think he was doing. I don't want to say better than Nemhard because Nimhard is a better defender, but he was kind of doing better than Nimhard on those bigger guys. And so mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it, the Pacers were probably going to end up losing anyways, just because Boston was the better team. But yeah, it was great to see him care that much, even if it was uh, ultimately just a learning opportunity for him to try to keep his head.
1: Yeah. I mean, you talk about him being effective on the glass. He was second in rebounds for the team with seven rebounds last night. So that to me is just one of those things where it's just like he continues to showcase that he can be effective on the glass. And, you know, Miles had 10, he had seven, and obviously the Pacers got killed on the glass this night. You gotta have better contribute uh contributions on the glass from guys like Tyrese, who only had one. Um, you know, and that's and Tyrese even said that in the press conference. So I don't I don't really care about calling him out for it if he's calling himself out, but you know, you just gotta have more team rebounding like gang rebounding it can't just be all on oh the center or this guard you know you got to do it as a team and unfortunately uh, that was just one of the things that they struggled with but uh, I, I want to go to Halliburton now because obviously he had a big game 22 points 14 assist and he had some really nice plays two blocks and three steals as well so like he yeah. was all over the place but I will say this some of the the last second shots that he took were a little bit questionable. And one of the things that you brought up, and when I was watching it, you could tell Marcus Smart's incredible defense on him, not allowing the switch to happen towards the end of the game, Yep, and forcing him left. This is a big talking point, so I'll let you kind of take it away here.
2: Yeah, I I know that at the end of the game, I want the ball on Tyrese Halliburton's hands, absolutely. Right. But I think I would rather have Benedict Matherin going at Malcolm Brogdon than Halliburton going at Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. I just think that, especially the way Smart was guarding Halliburton and how uncomfortable it seemed to make him, Smart was basically doing the James Harden, where it used to be you just stand on his dominant hand and let him go the other direction, and Halliburton just really didn't want to do it. Mm-mm. Smart is so good defensively. He won Defensive Player of the Year last year, obviously, so he's he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire league, and attacking that at the end of the game, even if it is in your best player's hands, I just didn't, I didn't like that very much. I actually meant to go back and watch the game to see those last couple possessions, but I don't think anybody touched the ball for those last two shots for the Pacers other than the guy that took it out of bounds
1: to pass the ball to Tyrese. <laughs> no, it was, I watched it again this, after, or this, yeah, this afternoon and honestly, I was just kind of like, okay, Halliburton, you know, let him cook, let him do his yeah. thing. I think Buddy tried to set a screen and get a switch. It didn't work. Yep and I, and I want to say Matherin tried, maybe not, maybe Smith I can't remember, but he tried getting the switch twice. Yeah. I think it was Matherin because, like you said, Brogdon was on him. And they had it once, and he was able to take yep. Brogdon off the drive, and that's like, okay, we found our plan, attack Brogdon, because we know Brogdon is a good defender, yeah. but he's slow-footed, and he's not mm-hmm. someone that's going to be able to keep up with someone that's got speed. so We've
2: watched Brogdon get cooked at point of attack for a couple of
1: years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was much better on guys like Tatum, LeBron, like yeah. guarding those bigger guys. And, yeah. You know, so it's like that's a, someone that you do want to attack defensively if you can. Now, Brogdon's smart, but at the same time, there are weaknesses to his game. So yep. that that was a smart plan. But, I mean, I just thought in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, did Marcus Smart hear what Tyrese said about Drew Holiday being the best oh. two-way player in the league? Was he trying to show him something? Because, you know, they Tyrese did go off on him, too, the last time they played. So I'm yeah. just wondering if maybe there was incentive there, like, hey, you know – uh, I'm pretty good defensively, too, and that's why I'm the defensive player of the year, you know, the reigning defensive player of the year, because he really impacted what Halliburton was doing there towards the end, and I yeah. felt his presence in both times watching it live and re-watching it. Yeah, I know for sure there was one possession towards
2: the end. I don't know if it was overtime or regulation, but Buddy set a screen for Tyrese as he had Smart on him, so he brought Smart back into the matchup on a scroll when Brogdon was guarding Halliburton and I thought I was like oh no get away stop <laughs> yeah, yeah. that like somebody Halliburton reject the yeah. screen something get, get get smart out of there but no that's just one of those things where you can kind of see it at the end of games the Pacers I mean Halliburton is incredible but there's not one guy who can get his shot no matter what you mm-hmm. know we don't have a Tatum we don't have a a Jokic. We don't have a Luke. Like Halliburton is just a step below those guys and Matherin maybe gets there. But I think at this point you, you kind of just ride with Halliburton and see what happens. I just would have liked to see a little bit more creativity or movement at the end of the game, rather than Halliburton doing 36 crossovers in about 20 seconds (laughs) and uh, end up with two, two shots where nobody else touched the ball. Even if I understand late game offense gets (laughs) sketchy.
1: No, I, I mean, I get it. It's like we know Buddy Heald's not the guy for the last second shot because we've seen that enough this year, and it's not bode well. And he's get Duarte made... in there at the buzzer. I mean, Cash honestly, again. Duarte might be the best bet at, like, a last second shot. Like, just set him up in the corner, let Halliburton drive, all the attention there, kick it out to, you know, Duarte. He'll probably nail it. Uh, <laughs> I, just being honest. Like, that guy has ice water in his veins when that clock is ticking down. But – you know, it is interesting. Like, I think Matherin could be that guy because of how well he draws contact when he drives to the basket. Now, as a rookie, like, you know, Carlisle said, Halliburton's our best player. So put the ball in his hands. Now, it's kind of the same way in Milwaukee, though, because Giannis is the best player, but Chris Middleton closes the lot of, a lot of the games out there. So you have to wonder if maybe, you know, Halliburton might be the best player, but let Matherin take that last second shot if he's just able to be able to more, uh, be able to create for himself more. And one of the things too with Halliburton is that slow shot. That's it takes a while to get his shot up and release it. It's, it's an effective shot. It goes in a lot. We saw how it worked in the three point contest in the first round. So there's a lot of, there's my dog making an appearance back there. So I had a buddy <laughs> Hi, buddy. As I just looked up. I see this thing moving. I'm like, oh, there's my dog. Yeah. He's, uh, he's excited for me to do this, but, uh, I, I will say this. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's tough because that shot release does take a little bit of time, right? And I think it's not going to change. So you have to figure out ways for him to just maybe get better looks, or maybe go to somebody else.
2: Yeah, and I think that's just another thing that this team's going to figure out as they start to get more competitive, right? Like it, mm-hmm. this is just one of those situations where it's like, hey, you know, Halliburton, like he's he's probably watching film like crazy. He's nitpicking everything that he did, just trying to find some edge to get better. You know, and and maybe they just win the game in regulation if Matherin doesn't get that tech. And so there's just there, there's a responsibility that falls on everybody, whether it's rebounding, whether it's shot selection, defense. You know, so it's definitely not on Halliburton shot selection there at the mm-hmm. end of the game. But it is one of those things where you you have to look at it and be like, man, like I wonder what would have happened had Matherin been able to attack Brogdon, You know, yeah. it's I I again put the ball in your best player's hands but sometimes the matchup is so favorable and it's not like Matherin is a scrub offensively like that's a that's that's almost guaranteed two free throws as long as he doesn't get the rookie whistle swallowed so yeah uh, yeah i don't know it was an exciting game overall i don't mean to be harping no, on the no 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 it, it's just
1: much. it's just fun to like kind of nitpick some of the small things when they're close games like this but definitely felt like a playoff environment which is awesome yeah. to see it's mm. awesome to see them competing and there were some other guys we had talked about offer that you wanted to bring up so mm-hmm. Who else would you like to bring up now? I think Neesmith. He
2: just does so many good things. He's very physical, so he gets a lot of fouls called on him. I think Basketball Index had some sort of chart where it was like defensive impact and fouls percentage drawn. And Neesmith was like top five in the league of foul percentage. But he was also like up among like the OG Ananobis and the Jaden McDaniels as far as like – Def- Once one defensive metric, which who knows how that's actually measured, I'm sure I can find it and get some more details. But yeah, I, <laughs> he just does so many things. He's he's in the right place at the right time. He crashes the board so well. That terrible save Tatum had under our basket. He just tossed right to Neesmith, and Neesmith went up, let Smart foul him, and finished. Like yeah. that's just winning basketball, and I just love how how much he impacts the game and how confident he seems to be getting when it comes to stuff like that. Like he, it seems like he feels like he belongs out there in the closing lineup. And that's just really exciting moving forward as he grows into, he probably shouldn't be like the best wing on the team, but if he's the fifth starter on a good team, if he's the first wing off the bench and and closes game, like that's, that's a really, really good player to have as your fifth starter or seventh man.
1: Yeah, I mean, if he can continue to knock down shots from three as well, like that's just an added bonus. But he's one of those guys that, you know, he might not always show it in the the box score, but his presence is felt when when he's out there on the court. And I was, like, watching the game, and I kind of forgot that he only had, like, four points when he had, like, stolen stolen the ball and got a layup. They're like, oh, that's the second basket of the night. I was like, what? I was like, he feels like he's been impacting the game a lot more than that. So, you know, overall, I I think – maybe we were a little bit too harsh on him early on because he did struggle quite a bit. He was not shooting the ball. Well, I'm just like, kind of like, what is this guy? Like, he doesn't seem like he fits, but ever since they basically put him in the starting lineup for Jalen Smith, it's been a lot better for him and the Pacers. Now it's not been better for Jalen Smith, obviously, because he's MIA right now watching everything with the DNP coach's decision, but it makes a lot of sense because he's just been that impactful. And like you said, being that fifth starter, I mean, Projecting wise, you know you've got Tyrese at the one, Benedict at the two, and Miles at the five. Other than that, three and the four seems pretty open. Buddy's gonna be an expiring contract next year. You know, he's in his 30s. What do you do long term with him? Is he a bench guy? Is he a guy that can play as your fourth or fifth starter? Does Neesmith go to the bench? What do you do with your draft pick? Do you draft somebody to fill that forward position? And then figure out who that last guy is in the starting lineup. You know, does Nimhard go to the bench now? Does he stay? There's a lot of question marks. But I think Neesmith, like you said, even if he does not start, he does seem like a guy that what he brings to the table makes him a closer in, in, in close games like that. He kind of reminds
2: me of O'Shea a couple of years ago. Like okay. I know when when O'Shea's shots were falling to close yeah. out, what was that, 2020, 2021? Yeah. Like when the when they showed Neesmith's line last night after the play you were talking about it was like four points two boards two assists I'm like man he's played a lot better than that (laughs) like I don't understand how that's all he ended up with but that's just one of those things like I don't think he cares either like he's out there to do the dirty work and put up some shots he made a couple good moves off the dribble which is a way that he's grown quite a bit over this Mm -hmm. year it used to be like please don't dribble more than once <laughs> but now you know he gets a couple of dribbles he goes strong to the rim absorbs contact just it's it's just great to see him out there playing well playing confidently he's only shooting 35 percent from three which I think has a lot of room to go up mm. with how just I think he's just a good shooter like he was incredible in college for a couple games he had season cut short but I don't know. I I just like Neesmith. I've liked him a lot ever since the draft, and I'm glad that we got him for Brogdon and kind of boosting his value, boosting his
1: confidence, and giving him opportunity to grow. Let me ask you this, because we always like thinking long-term here, and I know me and you like talking about hypotheticals as well. You know, looking at improving that forward position, you know, there was probably, you know, quite a bit of rumors out there about OG and Anobi. And I'm I'm just curious, do you think Neesmith – and Duarte plus picks, whatever those picks are, I'll let you decide. Is enough for Toronto to be enticed by trading maybe OG and Anobi in a contract year next year. I mean, it
2: depends on the picks. Like if we're if we're talking at the draft and it's Cleveland and Boston, probably not.
1: Um, um let's just imagine that we don't trade our picks for this year's draft, but like okay, 20 moving, forward. And moving forward. yeah, Like an off-season trade. Uh, yeah. Um
2: I think that there's probably – the problem with that is salary matching because if you're going to send Buddy, that's an expiring and that's a useful player, and then the Raptors have to send salary back because Buddy makes so much. But then if you're sending Tice, that's extra contract time. I, well, I with, don't th- – With the cap space
1: that we oh, have. that's true. That's we true. could trade Duarte and Neesmith okay. straight up for OG with picks. I don't think Toronto would do it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they would. I just didn't know if you thought maybe maybe Neesmith had increased his value that much because I think Neesmith actually would make sense as a Raptor by the way they like to play and how he likes to play. Yeah. So I could see them being interested, and obviously with their guard play, Duarte could be someone else they like too, defensively minded, good shooter, you know, maybe get a pick or two from us. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, it's not, like, the perfect deal, and I'm sure there's better deals out there. You're right. Yeah. But I don't think that's, like, a bad starting point now. I'm not saying I want to trade Neesmith. I'm not trying to put that out there. I'm just saying has his value increased enough over this season to make him more of a tradable asset, knowing he's hitting restricted free agency coming up.
2: Yeah. I think that he's definitely an intriguing player. He should be an intriguing player for a lot of teams. I think the restricted free agency point that you just brought up is an interesting one, because I don't know what the market is for young wings like that. It feels like he has so much more to prove before we can even give an estimation of what his number is going to be. And I think that's one of the underrated parts of these last 20 games because he'll be extension eligible this summer. And if you're the Pacers, like, what number do you give him? Yeah. I don't have a clue. <laughs> like, I genuinely don't I know. know. Like what, What's he going to want? What are the Pacers willing to offer? What's the cap going to be? How how does that impact things? Is he even willing to take an extension? I don't know. It's just – it's fascinating to think about. But he's one of the guys that I'm watching very closely to close out this season because he does have that potential to be – like a legitimate rotation player on a good team. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's very rare to have players that young with who just recently started playing actual NBA basketball, right? Like the reason he was a throw-in in the Celtics trade is he didn't get much opportunity. And so now right. he's in his first year of actually playing. He, we've seen a ton of growth, and now you have to project that forward. And it's just – I I don't know if his value (laughs) is solidified enough to be like the centerpiece in an OG trade, unless the picks are just overwhelming.
1: Yeah. And and I feel the same way. I don't think it's increased that much. I think it's increased, but I don't think it's increased that much. Yeah. But you know, you you never know what's out there and that's the thing. You just have to be smart with it. But the, the whole contract thing is what makes it interesting too, because you know, you're going to pay Tyrese. You're not going to have a lot of money, but he's an expiring. He's going to be a restricted free agent. Um, do they try to sign him in the offseason to an extension? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe like a four-year deal for $12 million a year, something like that. I mean, I can't really imagine paying him much more than that right now. Four for 48 seems about fair. Maybe four for 50. I mean, something like that. Yeah. I mean, what's what's uh,
2: KP's favorite word been lately? Optionality. Optionality. Yes, sir. Bleacher, Bleacher and so, report. Yep, yep Dan Valley. Valley. <laughs> Shout out, Dan. <laughs> Love it. But – so, anything that the Pacers are going to do transactionally that takes away from that has to be considered like significantly worth it, right? Yeah. Because I think that, like you said, we know that Halliburton's the one. We know that Matherin is the long term, too. We know that Miles is the five for now, like for a couple of years you don't know what those three and four are. And really you might not even know what you need at those spots entirely. I'm working on something. I think I know what they need. And so I'll be, I'll be interested to see what everybody else thinks about my thought process. But so like locking in Neesmith to a number that would like suggest he's a starting caliber player, like in the $15 million range, I don't see that happening, Mm -mm. but if it's, 10 12 i don't know is that worth it maybe with the cap going up if it's enough years then it's a significant value on the back end i don't know i i love this team i love the i do love the optionality even if it is an overused word at this point but it's uh it's just one of those things where it's there's so many directions they could go that it's almost hard to say for sure if any of them are going to happen you know
1: yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at. So I guess just kind of wrap this conversation up. Obviously, I think we recapped the game for the most part pretty well. Um, there's always more we could say because there's just so much talking points. And if you want to interject and throw something out real quick, please do. But Jordan Wara didn't look super great. No, he had he had, a nice, he had a couple of baskets, but that was about it. I mean, yeah, he's an interesting player as well. I'm not yeah. sure how long he'll continue to get minutes in the rotation. But yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta be able to know what you have, and I think sure. playing him, playing him makes sense just to see what he can do. And I'm gonna I'm not gonna write him off too early yet because he's you know what second third game with us now, so yeah, he's uh, I think yeah. it's game number three. Let's see what he does after like ten mm-hmm. games, ten game sample size. Yeah, is he just a guy that gets beat off the dribble a lot and and shoots a lot? <laughs> is that really what you want long term? yeah he's, yeah he's a wing but he's he, <laughs> is he that much more impactful than O'Shaper said uh, I have been
2: screaming for a, for a forward for years now and we finally got Jordan Wara and it's not it's not super uh, great but
1: I, I don't think that's the wing you're okay. looking
2: for <laughs> no no that's not what I had in mind also Isaiah Jackson Jalen Smith O'Shaper
1: said DNPCD yeah what I, that's, mean, I don't the Carlisle like way yeah yeah Daniel Tice logging more minutes you know, he only played 16, but you know, come on now. Yeah. You know and it was it.
2: against the Celtics, so maybe that was part of it where it's like, oh, he knows them very well. And this is a game that <laughs> they want to play to win because it's against such a good team. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to try to make excuses.
1: Play Isaiah Jackson, please. <laughs> here's here's what I think it is. They're trying to make a push for the play in, like the next 10 games.
2: Mm, yeah. Because
1: the guys want to win. Yeah. So Carlisle's Playing the vets, that's why you're seeing T.J. McConnell, a lot of buddy, a lot, you know, yeah. and I think by like the last 10 games of the year, if we're, you know, struggling badly on the road next 11 yeah. 14 on the road, I think there's a good understanding of what to do in terms of like development. You might even see Kendall Brown get a call up the last like five, seven games of the year to see what he can do. But I'm going to ask you this because I know we're both kind of shifting our focus for this Pacers team to the draft. Yes. Yep. Right now they're at six. We saw the Kings move up from six last year. The Pacers mm-hmm. actually fell down from five to six with the draft. It's always better to get better odds for sure. And I think the mag- the Magic are just, you know, they're nipping on our heels for for that twelve spot in the East. You know, they're coming for us. Yeah. So we could we could move to the fifth worst record in the NBA now. I guess that's right how you say that. Fifth worst record? Yeah, that's right. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah okay, I always get confused when I say that. because So yeah. weird saying the inverse handings, but yeah. Regardless, you, is there somebody you got your eye on for this draft? That's <sighs> not Scoot. Or of course, Vickers? of
2: course. Yeah, I, that's the thing about this draft class, and I'm I've been digging into it for a little bit, at least trying to watch as much as I can and try to read as much as I can. I don't think there's a wrong answer from three to eight. Like I'm between with you. between the Thompson Twins, Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, Brandon Miller, and there's you know, Keontae George and Nick Smith are in there, which I don't think the Pacers would take either of them. So then you're looking at how whatever wing forward you want with a variety of skills on both ends of the floor. It's a really good spot to be in. Of course you want the best odds possible, but man, I I just find myself getting excited for any of those guys, not necessarily one or the other. Kind of kind of last year it seemed like we wanted Jaden Ivy or Keegan Murray and then we obviously are psyched to have Matherin, but you know, I'm not I don't have a guy. I think Walker Walker's probably my favorite just because he's okay he's a two way legitimate power forward with some ball handling skills yeah, and I think that's the perfect fit next to miles um and it allows you to be a little bit smaller at the three if you wanted to because you have legitimate size at the four uh and with Nemhard and nesmith and and buddy, you know. There's just so many like two to three tweeners that that would work really well. But man, I also love him in Thompson, so I won't complain at any of them.
1: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, there's some uncertainty with Brandon Miller. But I think if you're looking at overall talent, to me personally, he's got the it factor. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's been comparisons to Paul George with his game. I can kind of see it when you watch him play. I think the Pacers could benefit from having a score like that and a guy that's got defensive potential like that. Yep. So he's he's above Walker, Jairus Walker on my big board right now at number three. Yeah. Um, but I've actually got Jairus above him in Thompson right now.
2: Oh, I don't think I'm taking Jairus at three. Don't get don't get that wrong. No. But I just mean like I don't I don't expect the Pacers to jump up because why would the Pacers have good luck in the lottery? But
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I don't, I don't know where Jarris range is. Like you said, two to eight. I mean, I'm not two to eight, three to eight. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying he would go at three, but you know, eye of the beholder. Prob- yeah. Probably probably more five to eight would be my actual yeah. thing there. I have him at four on my big board right now, but partially my big board is focused on the Pacers and what they need. Yeah. So, it, you know, and I, I think, I think Anthony black has been really awesome this year. too. Uh, that's, that's, that's my guy at like eight. Yeah. I have him at I... seven on my big board. I have cam Whitmore at six. I'm in okay. five. There you go. There you go right now. Yeah. And I'm still working on it. Cause like once you go through and like watch these guys, it like gets tough to like, yeah. Kind of like pinpoint everything, but you know, there's a lot of interesting talent here. And I think somebody that's probably under the radar because of his skin color, which me and Facha kind of talked about, is Grady Dick. Grady Dick, yeah. This I know This a, kid is smart. This is a yeah. very high IQ basketball player yeah. with sneaky athleticism. And he's just like a net. Is player. he a lunch
2: pail kid? His first in, last out?
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, he's an incredible shooter. And
2: he would be – there's a lot of draft people who want him to end up with the Pacers because he would just be an incredible fit. With Halliburton, with Carlisle, I mean he's he does he just plays really good basketball, and you just can't have enough of that, especially with the shooting that he can provide. So I would not. There was a mock draft for uh, no ceilings, I think, where they took Grady Dick over Amin Thompson. Yeah, I would not do that. (laughs) But if somehow the Pacers, you know, they won a bunch of games, they made a play and push, and they end up at like tenth, I'm perfectly fine taking Grady Dick as long as a guy like Anthony Black isn't on the board.
1: Yeah, he's in my nine to like fourteen range. Yeah, yep. Like you can make the case for him going like top ten for sure. Yep, I I really believe in his game, and I and I think that more and more people will see that. I think it's going to translate well to the NBA. Yeah, but man, if I'm the Pacers and there's a way that I can get up into the lottery again with my other with my other Oof. three picks, yeah, maybe future picks because we're hearing a lot of negative things right now about that 2024 draft class. So, yeah, I mean. They always do know. that. I think this year is just so talented up front that it just takes away from the next year. But, it, I mean, if if you're willing to part with your 2024 with some protections maybe or, or give up a player yeah. to move up into like the top 10, 14, whatever, I think you have to look at it. There better be more moves after the draft to come
2: along with that, not just drafting Jairus Walker at six and then Grady you know, Dick Chris Mer- yeah, Grady Dick at 12. And like that's your entire draft. That's your entire offseason. And then you move your 20, 24 first. That is not a good idea. But no, I, if
1: – yeah. There's a lot there's of things. There's a on. lot of things that I think will happen in the offseason, but I don't want to get to that yet. we still got 21 games left, and I'm just so draft-focused I had to throw it in here at the end. But Red <laughs> – I appreciate you coming on, man. I, I text you this morning like, hey, can you join me today for an afternoon podcast? You're like, bro, I got you. So, Absolutely. I, I appreciate that. So doing some writing, iPacers.com, yep. is that yep. where you're mostly writing at now?
2: Yeah. Yep. Between that and sports ethos for my fantasy basketball stuff, I'll have some yeah. draft stuff coming out, some Pacers stuff coming out. It's There's a lot going on in the basketball world, and I'm excited that it's back back on for our viewing
1: pleasure. Absolutely. Well, I will ask you this as just a fun little prediction type thing not involving the Pacers, but I guess maybe not even a prediction, more so okay. just like a something you're looking forward to seeing. If you could pick any playoff matchup in the first round that you'd want to see, east or west, mm. what, what would it be?
2: I want to see the Grizzlies lose in the first round. To who? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I want I want them to – let me look at the standings real Memphis, quick. Memphis, Golden State, something like that? Yeah, I, I, it doesn't really matter to me. I just think – I think they're kind of overrated as a team. I, I mean, right now they'd be playing the Timberwolves, which that would be not rematch. Of that last would year. that would that would not be great. I don't think it'd be it'd be fun just because the the rematch aspect of it would be fantastic. But I think I want to see I want to see the Suns get tested early though too. I want to see KD mm-hmm. Booker and Chris Paul get tested early, and them right now going against the Clippers. That would be that. a heck of a matchup because yeah. there's there's all this talk of like oh who's going to be able to guard Katie and the Clippers the Clippers yes. could probably do that like that is the the matchup for them but uh, I don't know it's it, it's a really interesting playoff no matter what the matchup is there's going to be fantastic games and I think just about every series is going to go six games at least
1: yeah I think Suns Clippers has got to be up there another one yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing if it if it stays the way that it is. Dallas versus Sacramento. I think that could be a fantastic mm. matchup as well. 140 to 143 Yes. Areas. A lot of offense. <laughs> you know, I just want to see Sacramento because I think Sacramento has a chance to beat Dallas. Yes. Because of the way they match up. I don't think that mm-hmm. Sacramento really stands a chance against Phoenix or the Clippers or really, I mean, they might stand a chance against Memphis, but that'd be really tough, I think, for them. Yeah. Same with Golden State and and even the Lakers have had their number this year and the Nuggets. I just think that Dallas is the perfect matchup for them. And I want to see them stay at the three seed because I want to see a home crowd, uh, uh, you know, a home court advantage for the Kings in a playoff series. Yeah, I got got ties there with Domas, you know, he's my guy. Yeah. So I'm always rooting for him, but I just feel like that would be a fun series. And it's always, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if things implode with Dallas (laughs) <laughs> with Luka yeah. Doncic there, you know, just how are they uh, going to fix all this stuff?
2: I don't think that they will,
1: but yeah. <laughs> all right. It'll be man. fun to see. Absolutely. We're where work people find you out on social media? You just find me
2: on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer. I am far too active on there, but uh, <laughs> got, got a lot of thoughts, a lot of basketball, a lot of NBA. So just, just let me know if you have any questions about any fantasy stuff or any Pacers thoughts, and I'll absolutely be sure to get back <laughs> to you.
1: For sure. And I mean, I, I, bounce off a lot of my trade ideas with Brett too, before I share them. So just, uh, just try only to... the
2: good ones though. The bad ones he doesn't talk
1: to me about. Cause I don't let those go through, but <laughs> yes, that's why the bad ones are, even though I probably do have some bad ones that get through a little bit, <laughs> but anyway, I thank you so much, reddit Everybody. You can find us on Twitter at setting the pace through. I'm at Alex golden. And V A. Fox. He's at the underscore FACCI, Facebook, TikTok, setting the pace know to find us at YouTube, and in the Pace Pacers podcast, subscribe there, but all right everybody, Red, I'm going to set you up, if you're excited for the next 21 games for the Pacers, then hit me with those three words, let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top, setting the pace, going to the top, this is your number one podcast, sweeping every team, we gonna need a mop, Smooth.
0: <laughs>